0: Counselor? Counselor? Could you be there? Could you be there? (whistles) Counselor?
1: I wonder if you're here.
0: A difference? Third. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy announcement. I am the one
1: who knocks. You come at the cave, you best
0: not miss. Are the lies. Well, I'm a brush, little proud man, motherfucker, motherfucker. Welcome to the Party Pal, mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. Welcome to the Party Pal is part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com and check out the vast array of arts and culture and music podcasts they have to offer. That's OsirisPod.com. I am one of your hosts, Michael Shields, and I am with, joined today by uh, a co-host, film historian, and host of the forthcoming podcast, Sinopolis, uh, Christian Needham. How are you doing today, Christian? Doing well, Michael. Looking forward to this one. This is going to be great. So today we're double dipping uh, a double dose of Cape Fear. We're going to talk about the 1962 uh, film. Um, and that one is uh, Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum star in Hollywood's classic tale of revenge and murder. Robert Mitchum is unforgettable as Max Cady, in ex-con determined to exact a terrible revenge on a small town. Um, lawyer, who's played by Gregory Peck. Um, um, you know, it, it's like we'll get into it. There's a 1991 uh, very famous remake, um, but the original was uh, was a, is a captivating uh, film. It was adapted by James R. W. Uh, James R. Webb from the 1957 novel uh, The Executioners by John D. MacDonald. Directed by J.L. Uh, J. Thompson. Uh, what do you think of this film? It was a
1: great adaptation, and, you know, the, mm. it's really a great example of, of a, a kind of a film where the antagonist who's, you know, you know, on the other side of the law, uses the law against the protagonist, who's oh, yeah. the lawyer, and it makes it, it's a mm. very unusual dynamic. That, you know I went back and got a chance to revisit the the executioners a little bit um, and found it found the okay. digital version of the book and, and read a ask? few few of the chapters and it's interesting how both versions of of this film or the adaptation of the book both the 62 and the and the 91 mm-hmm. version um follow pretty closely to to um, Mcdonald's original narrative um and okay. I would argue with the second version the 91 version improve upon it um, immensely oh, wow. um, b- because this is really both of these films, but um, the 62 version I look at is kind of like a, a great groundwork uh, for the potential that is fully realized by the 91 version. But one of the things that, it, that I think is fully realized by it is, is the Max Katie, the the antagonist played by Robert Mitchum in this one, who's, um, you know, not just physically imposing, he's mentally, um, mentally yep. uh, dangerous in terms of the way that mm-hmm. that he um, outmaneuvers uh, so many so many other characters in the film. And but it, going to the core of it, it's the question of of the law and the idea. I think there's to paraphrase one of the characters in the film: Are there too many laws, or are there not enough? And the idea mm-hmm. of the terror of of living in a society in a society that Where the rule of law should, you know, give us peace of mind. What happens when it's being used Mm -hmm. against us? And um, I think that that's done um, really well in this film, and it's really what makes it a classic beyond just the stylistic flourishes.
0: Definitely, I was going to say the same thing. It's, it's. I think it's what really, really makes it special is, um, you know, how they, how well crafted this villain is. It's, it's very fascinating how clever. Um, Katie approached the whole revenge plot how meticulous uh, he was in educating himself and the way he approached it and you know like like you were discussing using the law against um, Sam and it actually caused Sam to kind of venture on the other side of the law kind of wade into criminality and doing things very illegal and, and you know all the way towards murder um, a murder plot of his own and it's i i think i'm going to be talking that, about that a whole bunch as we you know wade into the 1991 version mm-hmm. as well is this is a this is a timeless villain it's something i would i would uh, it's it's so well conceived and, and so diabolical in a really sharp way and i just it's 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 i'm so glad it was remade by scorsese and um you know working with de niro later on but even just this 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 original version uh just so well cast and and yeah, it's it's a really twisted. I mean, it really it feels like the absolute definition of a psychological thriller. There's a lot, lot to chew on and think about, and um, and that all you know, it's all stemming from from the villain and and how well conceived it yeah, is. Yeah, and, and
1: let's not forget that. Katie is a, a genuine villain here I mean the thing that's uh, the unseen oh, crime that absolutely. you don't see but is is referred to is basically a rape that takes place eight years before that that Sam uh, mm-hmm. observes and um, yep. ends up testifying against Katie in court Katie blames him as uh, for for his eventual eight-year jail sentence based off of you know this good citizen act that Sam does it's it's an interesting that mm. that kind of turn is an interesting aspect of it Katie or Sam is not the lawyer who puts him away. he's the key witness and so both in this film and the remake that's in terms of Katie's motivations he sees whatever whether it was the judge or the lawyer uh, everyone else was just doing their job. he puts Sam at, at fault for for his um, decision to hold this you know to testify against him and there's also you know, one of the first times we see, the first time we see Max is after he's been released from prison. He goes, he's uh, going to see Sam in action as a lawyer at the local courthouse. And just as a, as a visual flourish that the, the director, J. Lee Thompson, makes at, of, of the mindset, the lack of empathy that's the, that um, Katie has, is he's walking up the stairs and a woman walks down past him and she drops a book. And Katie doesn't even stop to help her, you know, pick it up. He just, he just continues on. And that's the one of several kind of, um, very subtle yet unsubtle flourishes to his, uh, um, hints Mm -hmm. to his mindset. Um, later he goes to a bar and propositions a waitress, um, very subtly, unsubtly, um, asking her about her wedding ring and, and what is its meaning. And then, um, puts a, I think like a, like, a 10 or a 20 on, on dollar bill on the, the table and, and, uh, inferring that, uh, if, that she should, uh, be go with him for the money. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, for 1962 that, you know, there are these certain kind of subtleties or, you know, that, that had to be worked into the script that would, you know, if this was say five or 10 years later during, you know, new Hollywood era would not have been there. It would have been a little, I think more overt. Uh Again, hinting back to the, it, it also though makes complete sense because it's based on a book from the '50s too that was operating mm, under some mm-hmm. of these same these same kind of leering, um, uh, kind of diabolical um, uh, aspects of, of Katie's character. So there are these things that, that I think it very it builds up really well without beating you over the head that this is a bad guy that he. Probably that he, despite what he says, it's it kind of, it's interesting. He never quite denies the fact that he raped this, this woman or, or committed the crime. He's just incensed by the fact and that he got caught. Important to note, yeah. <laughs> and that, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. Sam, uh, Sam put this, uh, put his prison sentence into uh, effect and now is out for revenge.
0: Um, yeah, if this was, um, it, it must be noted that this was a pretty controversial film at its time. When it was released, when um, uh, it was cut heavily by uh, in the U.S. and in the U.K. by censors, they were worried um, that there was a continuous threat of sexual assault on a child, and 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 they're not wrong. Mm. It's I mean, it, it, it's it's incredibly perverse, um, you know his his intentions, and specifically with the child, and and that I mean, you know, looking at it as someone who you know not gonna. Overjudge that. It actually heightened the experience. It made it made it more villainous what was going on. But it was it was without a doubt um, a very controversial film. You mentioned something that that brought to mind something um, I wanted to discuss is uh, you talked about you know the unseen crime. Um, there was a the director Jay Lee Thompson who did such a great job. He worked with Peck um, before on the. The guns of uh, navarone but he um he was a huge fan of hitchcock and um he wanted he wanted to bring in a whole bunch of hitchcockian elements and uh you know when i say that i'm speaking to unusual lighting angles uh airy musical score which i want to talk about uh, in a bit um and then the uh, the subtle hints of violence rather than the graphic depictions and that happened uh throughout so i mean hitchcock influenced this and the uh 1991 film in a great way and and you can see it uh play out and in in, in, in a tremendous way it works great
1: especially through the music the idea that bernard herman's score to open up um, open up the film and throughout really um as another guy who you know most probably most famously with with the psycho score um yeah like that's Mm a very kind of close in of of that era um, that it's it's really um kind of immersive it really gets you into a certain mindset with with that and the fact that it's black and white even in 6 in 62 as kind of colors coming mm-hmm. through it 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 has a yeah. um yeah it has a kind of a hard boiled um not necessarily noirish cuz so much of it takes place during the day i mean the heat of the so- southern summers its own character mm. in this film, but the idea that that yeah. I like the fact that the black and white I think works works well with the with the vibe combined with the the um, the music design on it. Um, yeah, you mentioned the guns of Navarone. This was like a very productive time for um, Gregory Peck. Obviously, the same year he won an Oscar for uh, To Kill a Mockingbird um, as another lawyer <laughs> um, who's very yeah. bravely. Um, um, you know, waging a, a legal, a legal case, um, and it's interesting the, the to compare the two lawyer characters again. Also both in the South, mm-hmm. both in their mentalities and and how far they're willing to take things um, yeah. legally. I mean, famously, and even though it's not com- connected with the case, there's an, there's the famous scene in *To Kill a Mockingbird* where um, Atticus Finch uh, shoots the dog with his uh, with his rifle. A mad dog that's coming down the street, mm-hmm. and the idea of the his young daughter, you know, explaining explaining the moral boundary crossing of doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Here, it's a longer, drawn out um, sense of of what he's willing to do in protection of his family, and I think it's here. Yeah. It's it's more. Where's the? We'll talk about the ninety. The ninety one version is his own personal failings. Sam, the the character Sam's personal Mm -hmm. failings, cowardness, and whatnot, impotence, um, all that stuff. Here it seems it's more based around his, um, you know, his indignity of of this of of Katie going against uh, his family and social. You know, the the socials. Norms of, you know, he just do his time and that should be enough. And this guy, and he offers to pay him off and he's not, he's not fine. He's not, uh, satisfied by that. And, you know, even goes so mm-hmm. far as to hire guys to, to rough up Katie. That's not enough. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's part yeah. of like this, Katie's like this, um, you know, to for lack you know, uh, using a familiar kind of DC universe t- term, an agent of chaos. You mm-hmm. know, like a very Joker-like mm-hmm. thing. And I I would argue that if you look at Denir- De Niro's character in the '91 version, um, mm-hmm. has a lot of similarities to Heath Ledger's Joker um, in 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 terms yeah. of the way he carries himself, his his motivation, um, and his and and the way he um, upends the norms of of uh, this kind of this family's place in what should be safe, safe, normal, quote unquote,
0: normal society. Um, yeah, I thought about uh, Joker a whole lot, even um, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, take on it, and just I think that goes back to what I was saying. I think Max Cady um, is surely an all-time great villain, and um, I love. I, I, I was I kept thinking about the idea of. You know, who else I'd love to see play him in that way that I'd love to see, you know, how people, you know, uh, attack the Joker um, role. And, you know, I was thinking Joaquin would be incredible in that. I was thinking of, you know, uh, like Tom Hardy would be great to see in that Gary Oldman. And uh, you know, there's, there's so many actors I'd love to see. I'd I You know, yeah I'm not usually clamoring for remakes, but. Down the road, I'd I'd love to see um, some actors tackle these two roles, both on both sides of the coin. They're really intense what they both go through, and uh, it just it's it's it truly is a timeless, incredible um, villain. And Joker kept coming coming to mind, and, and you nailed why. Um, but that score, I just wanted to kind of bring that home a little bit. Uh, it's it's I found it completely panic-inducing, and it starts early. The you know right when we first meet. Um, Uh, Max like those those soundscapes that are that are so eerie and, and thick and haunting is the word I'm looking for um and so that was so I thought it was remarkable that um you know Bernard who did work with uh Hitchcock a lot besides Psycho he did North by Northwest Vertigo um I think he did the man who knew too much too um I I don't don't hold me to that, but um, yeah, and he was, so he was uh, employed, he did the score, he wrote the score um, for the 1991 version too, which is so great, the, um, you know, the parallels or, or the line that they are able to draw between the two is fantastic with with that um, uh, composer, but also the, a few of the actors that were in uh, the original 1962 version show up in the 1991 version, which is Really, yeah, really cool. That, that'd be a good a good place to like pivot to is, is those three. I mean, one of them we haven't
1: talked about yet is Martin Balsam, as Mark Dutton, who's yep. um, mm-hmm. an ally of of Sam's in this one. And he's Balsam was was an interesting interesting guy. I um, he, throughout the sixties, he bounced back and forth between films and television because this was still the the end of the era of um, television westerns. Um, in in the L.A. Mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. and you could book easy work doing that. And obviously, this is if anyone's seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's the kind of era that 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 shows the very end of that era, where you know with all these yep. ranchos Definitely. and other stuff around the L.A. County and other stuff. And mm-hmm. one of the I, I got a chance to interview uh, again. I've, I've brought this this interview up before, Please. but it's it's really a, a fun one. Hampton Vancher, who did uh, the uh, screenwriter, uh, screenwriter, original Wait. screenwriter for. Blade Runner before yep. he gave way to David Webb Peebles. Um, he tells a story that when he was getting his start, he was like on either late teenager or early twenties, um, in I think it was either late late fifties mm-hmm. or it must have been late fifties. It was like just before this this time. He was um on his first Western where he was playing what they would know, the bad guy. The mm-hmm. the name for that was the heavy in in an episode of of something where he was one of like a bunch of brothers. And the oldest brother was Martin Balsam. And he was, yeah. and Fancher played the youngest brother. And he didn't, the first day they were on shooting, um, Fancher was really, uh, really cocky about the fact that uh, being a dancer and, and very, very kind of performative, he had been practicing the way he would draw and shoot, he was gonna draw and shoot his gun. And, that, and he was talking to this guy he'd never met before mm-hmm. who was gonna play his brother. Um, about how to, how to properly draw and shoot in a kind of a flourish way, memorable way that, that'd be that he thought would be good for the camera. It turned out it was Martin Balsam, so he's telling this guy who's done this numerous times before. It's already kind of like a veteran, veteran of this. And Balsam was uh, took a liking to him because he thought he was, he was so cocky was, that he was had the nerve <laughs> to try to do this that he thought it was funny and uh, tried to go along with it, uh, you know, like uh, give him give him the time to do it, but um, you Know later on as Balsam stuck around for, for a long time. One of my favorite ones with him is if you've ever seen um, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, mm, yep. um, he has an important character. In fact, I think he has the second to last line of that film. The last line is Gesundheit, the second to last line is a sneeze, and that's Balsam, <laughs> yeah. who's uh, who's you know kind of sickly throughout the, that uh-huh. uh, that film, but is a, a great actor. And um, for people that want to go back and, and discover the films of, of you know classic films throughout the, the 50s 60s mm-hmm. and 70s uh, balsam appears again and again um, has also kind of an interesting role in uh, one of the I think I think it's death wish three the most mm-hmm. violent and over the cartoonish <laughs> of the death wishes he yeah. plays a, a friend of um, of of uh, Br- um, Bronson oh, yeah. and uh, has like a World War Two like super super machine gun that he just <laughs> has to ha- happens to have in one of his closets and brings it out so they can take out this gang yeah Balsam's mm-hmm. great as I guess is what I'm, I'm getting at yeah but, no, um, he's the judge in this one right yeah he's he's second. um no he's judging the second one and this one he plays uh definitely in the
0: 1991 and, version yeah
1: yeah and he's um it's a, again, you know, it's it's a kind of a perfunctory role in some mm, ways. Definitely. But he's like he's the sensible, trying to talk Sam off the ledge, mm-hmm. kind of character. Yep. But um, regardless, ends up uh, I think being the guy that, that directs him to Telly Savalas' character, Charlie mm-hmm. Seavers, who's the the kind of private eye who um, was originally one of the guys that was considered for the role of of Katie.
0: Yeah, he screen tested
1: um, for Katie. Yep. And I think, as as much as I like Savalas, and I think he he would have worked in yeah. it. I mean, especially if you've seen him in The Dirty Dozen, he mm-hmm. plays kind of a psychotic character Definitely. in that. Um, and subsequently after, he was really good at a kind of a f- he he had several roles where he was kind of un- hinted at being unhinged. Yep. Um, this is this is Mitchum's like this is a classic mitchum role and Absolutely. one of the great things about it is that compared to one of the advantages i think over de niro's take on it is he didn't have to go he doesn't have any tattoos mm. um and when he has his shirt and his hat on he can pass for very normal yeah. you know it's, it's it's he's not he's not overly built um he's imposing mm-hmm. certainly but it definitely is about the attitude with mitchum and definitely. the way he, the way he carries himself He plays in like an even darker villain, and his probably his most famous role is Knight of the Hunter, Mm -hmm. um, where he has um, the the words love and hate tattooed on his fingers. That was uh, again referenced to in in Do the Right Thing with Radio Mm Raheem, but that's there that he's he's got a he's almost like a, a religious fanatic serial killer. In, in that one here it's it's you know he he is you know he's a, a rapist who's had enough time in his in his prison life to focus his any learning or 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 recuperation or or he's spent it all planning his revenge and putting himself in a, in a mindset to get the revenge that he's aiming at sam at sam Bowden with and yeah. i think um, mitchin projects that um really well and you mentioned before about the censorship and the this the cutting the, i mean that that happened in this film perhaps the most shocking um scene is both in this film and honestly in the remake too is uh his interaction with with another female character in this one it's uh, the diane taylor character yeah look, Bear, played by barry chase i think mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. And it's it is shocking in the sense that you know they're in a bedroom together and he he beats her, but the the and then makes a makes a narrow escape uh, because um, uh character has, yeah. has tracked him to this this place and mm-hmm. calls the cops and he and obviously Katie makes a narrow escape and the reason it's so kind of shocking and unsettling is not as, as bad as, as the violence is. It's the heartbreaking nature of the reason why the, why Diane won't yeah. press charges or testify, yeah. yep. and that in both cases mm-hmm. is kind of uh, it's very very uh, very effectively heartbreaking. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- I thought it was it was um, really one of the most imp- it's definitely one of the most important scenes in the film because it, it really brings home. The the villainy again yep. to use the word diabolical nature mm-hmm. of of um Katie Katie and what he puts people through and uh, and basically makes them have to go through more pain if they want to take exact revenge on him.
0: Yep, it's I mean it's it's absolutely vicious the scenes and it does it 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 lets you know fully who he is. I thought a lot about what you were just talking about with um. You know Mitchum's Katie, how he can kind of be a chameleon and kind of slide in, um, you know, in, in everyday life in a different way than than De Niro's Katie, who's clearly, you know, just uh, reeks uh, uh, aesthetically of, you know, an ex, an ex, uh, stereotypical ex-con. I mean, that's kind of the, um, it, but I, but they both have their benefits. It's 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 kind of like a, a, a lower key. Um, you know take on the his medicine nature uh for Mitchum and it's definitely overt um you know how, how I mean to the point where Robert De Niro even had his teeth worked on he had them grind it down some just to make himself look more medicine and um I, I just I immediately when the film starts it's you get to see him actually in jail in this one and he's working out and you get to see his tattoos I mean they're painting a picture of someone who is definitely terrifying. Um, but they also make an early nod um, to him reading. He's, he's, he's walking out of the jail, and he's like, you need your books. And, and you, know, uh, you know, Katie at that point is just like, nope, already read them. So they're really setting mm-hmm. the table for, um, you know, with the tats of, of how, you know, scary he can be, but also um, how educated he was. And, and so, you know, there was um, just thinking about the beginning of the film, before you zombie. do, can I can I point out one Easter egg that I don't know if you read about
1: about oh, about his books? So please. apparently, when the, when the camera pans across his books, one of them that's kind of uh-huh. prominently placed is called "The Cell Within." Okay, but and it has the author's name, who I, I don't recollect at the moment. Sure. But 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 basically, that the name of that that book and the the author's name. Are drawn from a Miami Vice episode, <laughs> and called "The Cell Within." And the I think the antagonist is the author's name uh-huh. in that. And it's a, and it basically is an episode where Tubbs is uh, goes through um, what Sam goes through with someone that he put away um stalking tubs.
0: Oh, okay. Oh it's, it's called the cell within. <laughs> that is that is a that's a deeply layered Easter egg right there. I appreciate Isn't that. Isn't it? I thought yeah. that
1: too. I I had this I, I read that in some one of the trivias for this uh-huh. and I thought how would who would know
0: that and <laughs> who why would and know that. that's amazing. I love yeah, Easter eggs are the most exciting things in the world. That's so so nerdy. Um so we we should mention that the nineteen ninety one film was um directed by uh martin scorsese and um in this in that one um uh, uh sam Bowden's played by nick nolte um juliet lewis also plays uh prominently she's the daughter in it as well and julian lang is the um uh wife it's a wonderful cast uh, absolutely stunning cast i mean you know obviously De Niro (laughs) shines above. But, I mean, uh, unbelievable work by Juliette Lewis, too. Uh, Oscar and Golden Globe nominations for both of those, too. Um, Really just... I mean, this was a Martin Scorsese film, so you know it's going to look good. And the intro, uh, uh, you knew it was going to be a different experience than the original with Juliette Lewis, um, her intro talking about Cape Fear being a magical place to start. And there's just so many. I just... You know, and I remember seeing it when it came out um, in the early 90s and uh, just so many visuals stuck with me. Him, um, you know, sitting on the fence, as fireworks go off, The um, his red Hawaiian shirt, uh, the 4th of July parade where you can kind of see the parade and Katie's sunglasses. And, you know, uh, oh, flirting, um, another one I always thought of is when he was flirting with Sam's daughter on the phone while he's upside down. Just all these things were just like, burned into mm. my brain when it came out it was a it was a big picture it was um it did really really well It you know it resonated throughout pop culture there's a simpsons episode about it huge success 100 and uh, i think it brought in 182 million with just a 35 million budget it was it was a uh, you know anytime scorsese works with um de niro and now at that point it was their seventh collaboration together it's a big deal but that the film was it, it was a big deal when it came out it was it was a big moment it was
1: Yep. And, and so so big, in fact, that it was originally, and it was always going to be a big film, because the original, it was originally going to be a Steven Spielberg film. Yep. And the story of it, you know, they, uh, it's, I did not know this until doing more research into this mm-hmm. again, was that Scorsese was originally on track to do Schindler's List. Yep. And was Spielberg was originally supposed to do this, and they traded trade, it, yep. which is kind of mind-blowing to <laughs> it's me. It's
0: wild. uh <laughs>
1: In the original version, it would have. Uh, it looked like Harrison Ford would have been on board with that, and he actually wanted to play Katie. Katie? And he? Um, but uh, Spielberg actually was thinking Bill Murray,
0: which is amazing. To, I think that's, yeah. am, that's amazing to think about, and it just Harrison would have worked in both. I know uh, uh, originally um, Scorsese was even had Harrison tapped for. Um, Sam Bowden's role too, and I think Harrison could have pulled up both. But I love. The oh, thought. sure. I well, love- especially this
1: this at this point in his career, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. I love the idea of thinking what Bill Murray could have done for that role. I, I love uh, that Spielberg was was leaning that way. But that trade is absolutely fascinating. Um, well, there's a little bit of a hint of what it might
1: have looked like a couple mm. years later. Um, De Niro and and Murray were in a film called Mag, Mad Dog and Glory. Yeah, yep. And uh, where again, nothing to the to the level of, of Max Katie, but um, but Bill Murray plays a gangster and uh, that one, and kind of a, a hard bitten gangster yep. who um, pays off. Um, De Niro's kind of quiet police detective with with Uma Thurman and there are some definitely some, that one in, in terms of playing against type where you think Bill Murray's the heavy and De Niro's De Niro's you know the the good guy that kind of comes comes across here where Nick Nolte would not be the first person I thought of to play this character. He had to lose a lot of weight. This might be the most against type he's ever played. Yeah. Um absolutely. and t- certainly in his main his his higher profile films. Mm-hmm. Um he the combination of De Niro's uh, kind of insane workout regimen yep. and Nolte's uh slimming down. Yeah, they had to shrink and the shrink fact,
0: Nolte and build up De Niro to make it make I, it work. Cuz I think cuz I think Nolti has several inches
1: uh, he does. on He, he on, does. He does De Niro. Definitely. And so the, again, that's that's something where it comes across and also it's interesting the 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 role of of Nolte's glasses become really important. Mm. These wire rim frames with that with um, that you know where it's pretty much just there's no thick frames around the glass and it seems he's very um, at any moment he can he wears them down his nose almost mm-hmm. like bifocals yeah, a yeah. lot of the time so yeah. it's it gives him a, a much more um, you know he's much more breakable he, he's yeah. not as as tough as as and that that kind of There's is a fragility I thought was really effective and
0: the fragility only other, there is absolutely
1: there yeah the only other time i really saw the, the glasses in that sense that role kind of serve that purpose and in, mm-hmm. in kind of a famous film was if you ever seen straw
0: dogs yeah absolutely with
1: dustin hoffman mm-hmm. um his glasses play out so much so that in the i think it's the criterion cover mm-hmm. of it it's a side shot of of hoffman and his wire rim glasses are shattering Mm-hmm. Um, up close as, Ooh. cause it's, you know, he's being forced to, you know, live up to his own masculinity to protect his, his, his woman, his farm, his other stuff. And there's, there's a lot of that in this one too, where it's, you know, Nolte, Sam, Nolte's version of Sam is not, you know, is not a tough, a tough guy at all. He's definitely, um. So much so that he's in a very unhappy marriage with a with a with a wife that seems that not not only have they not had sex in a while, constantly emasculates him in front of his daughter. Um, he's actively, despite what he even says, is pretty much actively pursuing a um, an affair with a with a clerk um, who who works in, in uh, with him. And the idea that he's kind of a a scumbag morally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Despite what he holds up as, as, you know, even working as a lawyer and so often not just working, not just uh, utilizing the law professionally, but depending on it yeah. to, 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 uh, for his own lifestyle.
0: In this one, he even, um, he even buried uh, some of the details of the case, of um, Katie's case, which is also telling to who he was before this all happened.
1: Yeah, he's he's definitely an arrogant fuck um yeah. in terms of like no becoming question. an a moral arbiter mm-hmm. of what he despite the fact that once again this version of Katie like Mitchum's version of Katie did what he did like he's definitely guilty of the crime. Yes. what what incenses uh Katie here and I think in both cases there's like this um they've they've got this honor code where it's like yeah but if I was got if I was going to get set up for prison, it should have been on on, on under the fair basis of the law. Yeah. Which, to be fair, Sam Sam see, repeatedly you know espouses is you know the be all end all the of of you know his own moral code, mm-hmm. and the fact that that he has basically buried the fact that the the. Um, 17 I think 16 I forget I think it's 16 um the teenager that that Katie rapes is um the fact that that she had multiple that she had been with with multiple other men promiscuous yeah promiscuous right that was the word that was used and the idea that that was that could have um, the case. been used to his benefit mm-hmm. um, and senses him and now he doesn't discover this Katie doesn't discover this I thought this was a, a really interesting part of the, of the, the film where Katie uh, Sam is like has is just flummoxed by how the hell Katie came across this he's like mm-hmm. how would anybody have so much time with all that all that documentation to find this how could they mm-hmm. not thinking that's all that Katie has is time and yep. years to right. go through everything, yep. and it's like I, that, was, that was such a funny thing that, that he's so arrogant about the fact that no one would take <laughs> no the time one could to do possibly
0: this. Possibly get that, yeah, yeah, and in, not and on it, the outside,
1: but in in prison. That's the all, course, they did.
0: all they do. All they got time. And in this one, it was fourteen years in jail, and the initial one, I believe, it was eight years. So there was more that's right, and, and it's prison inflation there. Yep.
1: Yeah, and that's closer to the book. The book was also. Is I was curious about that. Okay. Yeah, they shortened it to, to eight for for the mm-hmm. uh, the second one. Um, and that's that's interesting too. The idea of and we we get a glimpse of De Niro's mugshot from the late what would have been the late seventies mm-hmm. uh, in this one, which is really interesting. Um, the character they they lean into more in this one is the idea that he comes from kind of quote unquote mountain country, mountain folk. Yeah. Pentecostals. Um, he mentions at at at, um, at one point that his grandfather handled snakes. His mother drank strychnine, mm-hmm. and the idea of of this almost supernatural genetic uh, <laughs> genetic lineage that he comes from that allows him to absorb a ton of of pain and damage throughout this film um, beatings and near death and near drownings and fire and you know take take your pick to just keep going to the point where his presentation here is a, is a, is almost like a supernatural wrath of god and yeah. the underpinnings of that comes from and again this is i after watching it and knowing scorsese and knowing his he whenever he can i think maybe maybe particularly this point in his career again mm-hmm. this is a couple of years removed from last temptation of christ but also um Throughout in aspects of Goodfellas too is is his, is Scorsese's Catholicism mm-hmm. and the idea of the religiosity of America and this is yeah. an interesting point his opportunity to explore the Southern Gothic version of that mm-hmm. Southern Gothic version of, of religiosity with, with again as as you mentioned with someone Katie which is like this this almost pagan approach to religiosity but like you said like with with snake handling and and um and you know drinking of poisons other stuff and and praise the lord i've i've survived it don't you see you know like they this bible thumping approach and a lot of the the book of the bible um that that kind of comes forth the most is the book of job and the idea of of sam having to go through these tests and it's interesting that you know, this is the God that that Katie, I think, represents is the Old Testament God, the God yeah. of wrath, mm-hmm. the jealous God. And this this kind of the, there's so many themes of and mentionings of, of this stuff, um, including on Katie's um, body. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's something we should talk about, too, is the tattoos. Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: The, What's the line? Robert Mitchum, like, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if I should look at him or if I should read him. And that's Mitchum, which yep. is great. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, of you know the the
1: previous Katie uh, commenting on his on his and on his basically. successor. <laughs>
0: yeah, successor.
1: Yep. And uh, that that's really amazing. The the idea that you know, I, I believe De Niro got um, vegetable vegetable dye, mm. um, so that it, it was on it was in on him for a couple for months. You know. Uh, but it was something that would eventually subside through the skin. But it wasn't some, you know, because it would be a pain in the ass just to do regular ink again and again. Of course. And it's so. It but it it bears importance. The the, the biblical quotes on each of his arms, um, the massive tattoo on his back, uh, justice. Justice one, yeah. And um, what was it? Uh, truth, I think, is it truth and justice? The the, the scales uh, that yeah. he has yep. on on his back, mm-hmm. and the idea of of symbolizing that. It. So it kind of. It it does it reinforces the stuff that's at play, but there is a lot of literary underpinnings to this to this film, and yeah. specifically biblical literary, yep. um, and the idea that you know the, the that's one side of it. But then you know his interaction with um, Katie stocks and and kind of uh, attempts to um, you know to, to become. To he he stalks Sam's daughter in a way that's like very interesting to me because it's it it's through it's intellectual stalking yeah. yep. the idea of appealing to her through through books and and learning and and the works of um, you know it's they they discuss Tropic of Cancer. Um, the idea of like these, and she mentions the fact that she had to steal it off her, her parents' shelf and read the naughty parts. Mm -hmm. And the, the idea of the dangers of the written word that are embodied literally by Katie, but also in, in certain authors, you know, and the idea of that kind of stuff was, was like really, I thought, I thought really, really interesting. And the way he stalks her is that.
0: that. I think the way he stalks her and the way he actually got her intrigued in him and, and, excited about him, really, I mean the, I, I, the scene where he, um, you know, it's so so super creepy when they meet in the theater and there's the thumb sucking and the kiss but he, she's so innocent and he's so manipulative and it actually got through to the point where you know, the, the next scene is when she, you know the father, uh, Sam's asking her you know, did he touch you? And she's smiling she's kind of like, and it just bothers Nick so much and you can see that that was just another way for him to get at, uh, back at Sam, and it's so twisted and it was so effective. It's 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 really impressive how they, the ways in which the, um, you know, this villain was, was was getting at the family. It's it was just ripping apart Sam on many levels. It's it's so incredible, really.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was really well observed in the development of, of the plot, the screenplay, is the idea of of the age of, of Sam's daughter. Being able to like she's just at the at the cusp of, go, of you know, a puberty where mm-hmm. he fears her becoming, you know, a woman, essentially, yep. and the idea mm-hmm. of protecting her, the sanctity of her sexuality and that kind of stuff. And I thought it's interesting. I, um, I thought Juliette Lewis plays it plays it really well, um, especially that's sc- the scene in the theater, which I which I learned was unscripted. Was she it? knew what, yeah, she, she <laughs> oh knew God. she was not told what De Niro was going to do. And they set up multiple cameras <sighs> with her um, and she handled it really well. But the idea sure of just did. like, she's, she has aspects of her character where, that are very childlike and then right. others that are, you know, like yearning to, you know, that, that kind of thing. And the idea that, as you mentioned before, that, you know, one of the things I don't think she knew was going to happen, but, but end up happening was De Niro kind of touching her mouth and then slipping his thumb, his thumb. Yeah symbolically you know a couple mm-hmm. of times into into her mouth mm-hmm. and then uh, Sam's reaction to that is as you mentioned when he when he demands to know if, if she was touched is to slap his hand over her mouth yeah he and what yep. that's what that symbolizes and that kind yep. of stuff it's it's really um yeah it, it works on a really really unsettling um, level. note for for not not only that, but there's, I think for for the not just culturally, but southern culturally of that mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. there's, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna there's something there's a great line, that's um, that's brought up by Joe Don Baker who plays um Kursik, the um, mm-hmm. private eye in this one, yeah. and he he makes he makes um an observation about the idea of fear. And he asks Sam if he's if he's if he's afraid about what's going on. He says, good, use it, savor it. Mm. Like Mm. here in the South, we have, you know, we have fear of the Indian. Then we had fear of the slave. And then we had fear of the union. You got to savor that fear. (laughs) And that's I think that that kind of stuff is all wrapped up in the same kind of intrusion that the Katie is like a successor to that fear. You know, what's he what's he gonna do? He's you know the, he's a he's a threat sexually to to my daughter to our daughters, to our to our wives, uh to you know the safety of our house, kills our pets. You know, he's like a he's he's you know brought on from you know of course he, he, he feels like a bib- something biblical that's brought mm-hmm. on, oh, you know. No question. And that's um that line struck me. I thought that was really yeah. um, a pretty cutting uh, take on, on, you know, observation of Southern, the Southern, Southern culture that, that, um, oh, that, ha- that that has, has my wheels embodying. spinning,
0: thinking, thinking about things happening in the country right now. And, 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 you know, uh, certain people trying to hold on, uh, to what they believe the country should be as, as they fear other, um, you know, is taking over that, that really got my wheels spinning with that one.
1: Another interaction that he has with, with Kursik is he wants a gun, to defend themselves and yep Kersick is is eyeing him up and being like well let's see what would be one for you and he keeps going through his head and, and the guns that he mentions get smaller and smaller and smaller till he's like <laughs> basically like a 38 special with uh-huh. you know that which is the proverbial woman's gun that he that he and he has to, and he talks to sam he says now look don't think about it. like i don't want want you to use it and then then he's going to and have him disarm you, which really insults Sam, mm-hmm. thinking like he's not going to disarm yeah. me. I can, which is obviously what would happen because Sam is is Definitely. not as tough as Definitely. he thinks he is. And yep. the idea that even Kursik is is fooled and and by by Katie and killed, ironically by that thirty eight, um, mm-hmm. of when when Katie um, oh, gets yeah. into the yeah. house yeah. and and uh, yep. gets the drop on Kursik. So yeah. those again, yeah. fear. Um, race guns um Mm -hmm. the other all that Mm -hmm. stuff i think you're absolutely right i think it is i think Mm -hmm. something that you know this is the 30th anniversary of that film but 30 years later Mm -hmm. its commentary takes place in in a quiet rural georgia town Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know it's it's i think it's it's just as um as prescient and present uh, as as it was then and is now, I think it's 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 definitely um, still uh, still relative to things that are going
0: on. No question about it. I like what you said earlier about how, um, and I think both films are so worth everybody's time. They're they're unique in their own way, even with all the parallels. They're both outstanding movies. But I love how you said that the uh 1991 scorsese version was kind of like the fully realized um you know uh uh, take on this on this tale um it's such a spectacle it's so um absorbing with the with the acting um and you know the, the the plot of course but uh it's 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 also it's traumatic i mean it's as much as the the family may have got out of this i mean they're the, you know the the revenge was enacted i mean the trauma of everything they've seen and went through is so severe that um you know the 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 damage the damage is done in a lot of ways and it's 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 such a wild wild ride it's visually you know stunning in so many ways scorsese did a damn good job as he always does and it's just and and like i said i really believe max Katie is uh, an all-time great film Villain, one of one of the best. I mean, if we're making top ten lists, I believe he's there. And I I do think uh, down the road we'll we'll see someone else, um, you know, have their turn at this role and and at this film. So it's a good it's a good one. I'm glad uh, uh, we got to talk about here. Any uh, any other closing thoughts you had?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I've I've been thinking about the opening credits of this film. They're done by Saul Bass, and the idea Mm -hmm. of the X-ray. Um, or not the x ray yeah. but the but the negative photo negative yeah negative uh, yep. thing of 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 the characters where you see them in the reverse, you know the the black yep. and white becomes the reverse, and I thought that was really effective the idea of what happens when you're on the other side of something mm. um mm. and it's it's something that you know watching films like this. I think, as as you mentioned, the the what makes them so effective is is being able to relate. Ask that question yourself: of what you, what if you were in that same position? What would you do? What would you what do? Would you do, yeah. And yeah. And sometimes you there's there's as despite all the the twists and turns of the plot, it is actually you know it's a it's a plot that's that's easy to follow to kind of a an effectively devastating degree. Because of mm-hmm. that question, because of what if I was in what happens when norm, my my normal life is is thrown into upheaval, not out of nowhere, but because of my mm-hmm. own doing, and even more yeah. scary, relating to the law that's supposed to protect me. I so or so I think that yep. that I think, yep. as you mentioned before, we're living in a time where the law, for a lot of people of various races and colors, and and religious, um, religions and take your pick, um, feel that mm-hmm. way about the law, yep. about society, mm-hmm. about, about yep. the country they're living in, particularly, you know, here in the U S at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that kind of the, asking those questions I think is healthy. And the, the kind of, yeah. though the name of the film is Cape Fear, um, I go back to what said, you know, I'm going to paraphrase show Don Baker here it's, it's there's mm-hmm. something important about, not just savoring the fear, but exploring it, and and getting to the root of
0: it. That's how you get past it. Wow, that that's it. Perfectly said. Absolutely, perfectly said. Um, so, Christian, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, you know explore both of these films. Um, I, I, I think we uh, I think we nailed it right there, uh, and it, we'll be back at it real soon. Thank you, everyone out there, for joining the party. If you want to do-right, ho-right, do-right, do woman, woman, woman. you got to be a do-right, do right, do-right, do right, do right, do right, do right. man. man. Osiris. This podcast is In The Loop, the Legion of Osiris Podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.